working with imposter syndrome i anticipate that will come and go and i see it more like a you know an emotion comes and goes you know i will reflect on it and see are there points for learning but once i've done that there is really no point in me entertaining that thought process or bearing with those emotions for very long so i can acknowledge them and then move on to what i've got control over if you're aware of, of that's just going to be a natural thing that arises with some things you can depersonalize it a bit and find healthy ways to cope with it Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Business Secrets Podcast. I'm Jo Cunningham. I'm Claire Hitchin. And I'm Zoe Whitman. We're the founders of WellConnect, the platform bringing you everything you need to know to grow a thriving nutrition business. We're passionate about the nutrition industry and we're on a mission to give other nutrition professionals the confidence and tools you need to build the business of your dreams without the overwhelm. We've got you covered from practical strategy advice, meaningful marketing, social media, knowing your numbers, and so much more. Get ready to skyrocket your nutrition business with the help of industry experts. This is the Nutrition Business Secrets Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to today's podcast. We're joined today with Dr. Sula Windgassen, who is a health psychologist, cognitive behavioral therapist, EMDR therapist, and mindfulness teacher. Sula has over 10 years working with people who have chronic illness, both in the NHS as well as in private practice. Sula is director of the clinical health psychology private practice Mind Body Blossom, which supports people experiencing chronic stress, illness and trauma. She continues to contribute to the research with a specialist interest in women's health, urogynecological disorders and functional gut disorders. Welcome Sula. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Nice to be here. So we'll get straight into it. There's a lot of stuff that I think we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited. So do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about you, your journey to qualifying as a health psychologist? Yeah, so I guess it's been like a a long journey, but an incremental one. I was thinking about this the other day. It feels like I planned it all perfectly, but then it was it all sort of feels very accidental. So I did psychology at undergrad and then I was in two minds whether to do a master's in health psychology or to go into the professional world I'd had a a post as a marketing assistant and they had offered me a full-time post and I the seduction of just getting into the working world after uni was great so I I went straight into that job but quickly realized that it's quite a big transition actually to go from university to a full-time job when your whole entire network then evaporates from the university town that you were in and yeah you've got a completely different schedule and I wasn't particularly enamored with with the work that I was doing so quickly I found that I wasn't particularly happy but I don't think I really realized that and then my health started playing up so I started getting recurrent urinary tract infections which I'd had before as a teenager and then this all snowballed over a period of months um where the symptoms got worse they kept changing I couldn't get any answers I went through all of the things that a lot of my clients go through which is you know trying to find answers in the medical system and getting increasingly demoralized when it seems like there aren't any answers felt very depressed and then I was offered support really or an insight from my dad's partner who was a clinical health psychologist who helped me understand how my psychological experience was impacting on my physical experience 
in a way that made me feel empowered rather than blamed which is a super you know specific skill that's so important and she in doing that helped me to identify things that I could change to make me feel better and then as I started doing that my symptoms started to change and then I was really interested in this relationship so I decided to go back and do a master's in health psychology which I went on to do at King's and then I had a whole <laughs> run of different degrees <laughs> from there from the master's PhD and health psychology doctoral qualification and then training as a CBT therapist and then working in the NHS for a while and I really did enjoy it. Covid obviously created uh, a big shift in how everyone worked and then finally setting up my private practice and um, hoping to get some more kind of work-life balance but I know we were just discussing before this started <laughs> that's a skill in itself it certainly is and it's it is quite hard to find that balance isn't it when especially when you run your own business and, and you're obviously so passionate about what you do in terms of your niche and specialism so you work primarily with gut disorders pelvic gyno and bladder issues you've talked about a bit about your personal story with that how did you identify that as a niche then? How important do you think that's been for you in terms of just niching down to specific issues? I think it's something that I, I still fight with myself over and I haven't completely you know, niched down because in my practice I see a lot of people who don't fit gynae or, or gut uh, issues. They have like different types of chronic illness um, or they, they have uh, trauma and, and it's been a real struggle because, you know, a lot of the business guidance is, you know, find your niche and really hone in on it and you can really tailor a message and get, you know, get momentum that way. But it's at odds, I suppose, with the way that I work. I love variety. So if I was just seeing a whole caseload of people with the same physical presentation, they wouldn't, of course, all have the same experience. But I know that I would miss seeing people with slightly different presentations and in the NHS you're faced with all sorts of stuff and that's quite exciting. I guess I've tried to find a middle ground where I have specific specialism in gut and gynae. I know lots more about the physiology there and the interrelationship between mind and body there and they are two areas that I really do enjoy working with and I know there's lots of evidence-based protocols that I've worked with there so I use those as like my foundations but I, I try and keep it broad enough so that I can also work with people that don't quite fit that as well which I also think feeds into understanding about those gut and gynae conditions sometimes people come at it with a completely different health presentation experiencing something in a way that you haven't talked about it with a, with a, a gut or a gynae client and you're like oh that makes so much sense you're thinking about it that way for example you know people have trauma and they think about something really specifically because it's so present and you're like that makes complete sense for my client that's just gone through this but in a completely different setting so I'm trying to keep a balance but um yeah it's hard because you're you don't know am I niche too much and um getting rid of all my variety or uh, am I being too broad and not really speaking to anyone talk to us then a little bit about what your kind of week or your days look like in terms of you know how many clients you're seeing what else is in your diary yeah, so Monday to Wednesday is my clinic days and I've tried to be strict about that because it just creates boundaries for for my own kind of mental health and well-being. You know, I work from home predominantly. I see um, two clients face to face. But apart from that, I work completely from home. And so you don't have the same 
boundaries as if you were going into an office and then leaving it and I remember when COVID happened and I was working in the NHS I kept having conversations with people about how stressful the job suddenly felt in comparison to before and that was precisely because you used, used to get your commute back and you would get your little conversations in the office which would completely debrief from what what had gone on the difficult stuff and when you don't have that uh, you, you have to create it but so I try and find different ways to have boundaries. So Monday to Wednesday is clinical days. And um, as I was just saying, it used to be like 10 clients a week, which was about three-ish a day, which was very luxurious coming from the NHS. But in the last year, that's increased to about, I'd say like I'm seeing 13 to 16 people per week. And it's fine. Like that's, I know 16 is my absolute maximum um, to see per week, but uh I, I am craving the room of seeing 10 people. So it's a, a balancing act of, of yeah, h- how many you see versus like how much space you've got to, to explore things. But on the, the Thursday and Friday, what I'm working on is this group membership program, which is going to be a mix between online self-help, but with uh, kind of like a, a therapeutic group that keeps going. So there's a really lovely model in um when I was working in the NHS for people who had difficulties with emotion regulation and it was an ongoing group that people could just keep going to every single week and sometimes they'd turn up sometimes they wouldn't turn up um sometimes they'd go for months and then they'd go away and then they'd come back just for one and the lovely thing about it was you always knew there'd be some kind of constant that group would be constant you could go back you could you'd be introduced to new things you'd refresh old things and you just have this lovely space to be held. And it always struck me as, you know, that's gold standard for, for support, for health and, and psychological well-being. It's just funding issues and systemic structures. So that's what I'm trying to aim to do with this uh, online membership, which will be people can work through content themselves. But uh, there's a big emphasis on both an online group, but then weekly we'll have um, group meetups online initially. Maybe hopefully one day we'll have a forum to do it in person as well. Um, So I'm quite busy creating that content. Usually the, the days would be a bit more spacious, but now I'm really trying to get it up and running. That sounds amazing. We definitely want to hear a lot more about the group membership. I just want to ask you about your transition from the NHS to private practice a little bit more because... I often hear from nutrition professionals that, especially dietitians, where there's a little bit of guilt that comes with that, <laughs> moving from kind of the NHS support to, to private practice. But how was your experience with that transition and how did you go about that? Yeah, guilt's a big thing. I had lots of guilt because there is this pride in the NHS of providing support to people for free. Obviously, you're getting a salary, but they're, they're getting it for free and you know just rolling with the rough and tumble of what comes depending on you know people have all sorts of needs and I think the way that the NHS has managed to keep going is based on the personality and uh, values of these people working in it where you go over and, and beyond like I didn't have a colleague that would not do extra work you know beyond their hours where it was needed in contrast you then feel almost like you're selling out when you go private your well I felt perhaps that I was depriving people of you know my skills and abilities 
and putting it behind a paywall which essentially that is what I've done and yeah that was really uncomfortable but (laughs) how did I navigate it I think I'm just talking about it a lot you know exploring it with people and being quite open about it as well and my motivations for doing it I wasn't leaving the NHS because I wanted to make millions you know that and that's never been my ambition to to try and monetize things so you know I've got a huge cushion of cash it was at the preservation of my own well-being I was so burnt out at the end of the pandemic and the conditions for working didn't look like they were going to improve it was more you have to work harder to make sure that you're okay with these conditions and you wouldn't accept that in any other relationship you know if your husband or partner just started being awful to you you and then they said well this is the terms of the marriage now just stay in it or you know you would say well no I'm not going to stay in it and not that you know I'm not saying my bosses were awful to me they weren't at all they were lovely but the conditions of working were much more difficult so on that basis it was self-preservation there were other factors that went into my decision to leave I was just saying my husband's a musician so he was going to have a career on the road and going to different countries and all sorts of things which would have just been completely incompatible with with a NHS job so on balance it was you know how could I how could I look after myself and still provide help for other people and I suppose mentally as well what I've done is just tried to make as much free resource as possible so like on my Instagram page which is now developed into creating worksheets that I think people could just use as standalone and and providing those for free but I don't think that's necessary I don't think you need to overcompensate like that but it's just something that you know is important to me. I think those free resources can be obviously helpful for the public but also I I completely understand and it it resonates with me when you you feel like that yes there is an element of overcompensation but it helps you to feel like you're still helping the mass audience that can't maybe afford a private support so I think that's that's a really nice balance isn't it um talk a bit more about how you plan or hope to stick to those 10 clients a week then and how you make that work for you because it's obviously a nice position to be in that you're getting inquiries that are filling your diary and it's so tempting to say yes to everyone and then burn yourself out how do you plan to go about kind of maybe trying to set those boundaries a bit more at the beginning of the year I intentionally increased the amount of people that I would see as I was trying to um I suppose get a bit more space and time in the second half of the year to do this uh group membership so I was like I can do 15 people you know I was doing 20 25 people in, in the doing 25 people in the NHS <laughs> see 25 people in the NHS um so 15 felt okay to do and it's been my preference to do you know pure clinical days Monday to Wednesday so that seemed feasible um with with how I set my hours which as well is kind of the midday to the early uh, early evening fits with people's schedules and I tend to work better in in those times in terms of kind of working with people whereas in the morning I can you know get my sleep bit, get my lie in if I need to or I can walk the dog and do kind of gradual things to set me up for seeing clients so how I thought about it was how many people do I want to see and what kind of schedule works best for me and them where I can you know be most effective but also have a bit of balance in the day and 
yeah, th then it just worked around that. So then when I'm thinking about going down to 10, um, I'll do that gradually. I'll, as people start to leave, I'll start, you know, I won't look to fill that slot quite so quickly. Um, but I, I tend to be quite strict on not not working on Thursdays or Fridays clinically unless there's been you know multiple things that I've had to rearrange with people and you know there's specific situations then I'll see one person maybe on a Thursday um, or a Friday if something's going on or if I'm teaching on a Wednesday I have to switch everything over then I'll do it but the important thing for me is I know what I need to work best for people and what I need in order to do the other stuff that's also important so creating this membership will mean that more people can access information that I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one with people, but affordably so. So I need to create that time. And to create that time, there needs to be these boundaries. So I I can hold them quite rigidly, actually. Um, and sometimes I have to, you know, introduce a bit of flexibility because I'm like, well, no, you know, it doesn't need to be quite that rigid. But um, yeah, those are the, the key bits of motivation. This isn't going to it's just like if I think about working with someone at nine o'clock on an evening, I know I'm just going to not be any use to them. <laughs> so it's the same, it's the same principle. That's, that's really interesting. And, and I'm, so I'm thinking it, uh, about it from sort of like the business perspective side of things in terms of, um, you know, how you go about growing your business, thinking about making sure that, you know, yes, you're helping people, but you're also looking after your own salary um, and financial goals. When we're thinking about like your different income streams, so you've got income streams from from seeing your clients, you've got this group membership, which sounds really, really amazing. Um, and I know you do online group sessions and courses as well. How important has been, you know, diversifying that that business activity been for you in terms of giving you financial security? It's yeah, it's a good question. To be honest, in the first year, I just kind of saw what stuck. So if people were coming through my door, that was the primary thing I wanted to do. And I was, I feel like I was lucky because I didn't have to, I didn't create a big strategy of making sure they came through the door. I did stuff that I knew had been working. So posting on Instagram, talking to people uh, that you know refer to me, dietitians and physios and kind of maintaining relationship but I, I didn't have any strategy and then in the last half of last year I got a business coach and she introduced me to this Excel which was enlightening and also a bit horrifying um, because I then could see you know my income over the last year and how consistent or inconsistent it had been and there were times where it had really like gone right down to the point where it wouldn't have paid my wages but I had some left over from months before where it had been way up which is how it works but I guess my perception was that it had been a lot more consistent than it had been and then when I was looking at what the different income streams gave me majority of it was one-on-one -on -one work but there were pieces of consultancy that came in that that really helped so you know working with um particular companies that wanted to understand how psychology could help their patients with x y and z and this that and the other and I'd thought of them when I was doing them as oh this is an interesting project to do and it's a bit of extra cash it wasn't like oh I really need this for my whole business model but then when I look back I was like oh thank god I got that because you know that month would have been dreadful without it or I wouldn't have you know sustained the, the next couple of months after that so in retrospect <laughs> 
it has been really important to have different different bits of income stream and then I guess where I'm at now is trying to find that balance of having diverse income streams but then you know like we were talking a bit about before not saying yes to too many things where you're like oh it'd be good to diversify and have that and that you know that will be an interesting project and you know be a bit of financial security at the expense of like doing things that are really important so there's there's been a couple of opportunities recently that have come in which would have been a you know good things to do in multiple ways you know pr promotion wise and th the money that they were offering but I was like but then the whole of it just disrupts all of April in terms of trying to get this mind body membership going so I was like have to say no which was a big thing for me because I never really say no to these things but it's really tough to know what is positive diversification and what is just diluting your capacity. I think that's such such an important point because like you say diversifying isn't just trying to do as many things as you possibly can fit into your week mm. it's still about hugely prioritizing what is gonna make you feel like you're doing what you want to do in your business making you feel like you're giving value um, but also making you feel like you're growing your business and it's it's what works for you. So I think that's such an important message for people because you don't have to say yes to everything. You don't have to be on every platform. You don't have to do all these resources, memberships, one-on-one -on -one consultations, corporate work, yeah. brand work. It's it's still about choosing and, and making the choices. Probably even if you're not aware of it, it's a bit more strategic because you're yeah. still making that decision, even though you don't, you would necessarily call it a strategy, which I think was interesting because it sounded like you probably had more of a strategy than you think, but it yeah. just probably naturally to you because you just naturally were perceptive about what was working and what wasn't. Yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of like feeling round. And then, I mean, sometimes the real intentional creating strategy is anxiety provoking right because then you've got stakes attached to it um whereas if you're just like oh I'll just try this I'm not really doing anything it feels a bit safer um so the business coaching was really helpful but also quite intimidating what prompted you to get a business coach and, and how valuable was that aside from making you kind of realize perhaps your revenue pattern mm. what, what other value did that have for you I, I decided to get one because a few people had talked to me about having gotten one and finding it really useful. And so a seed had been planted like way, way back. And then I kept hearing bits and bobs about, you know, having a business coach. And then I think, I think really what had happened, if I'm very honest, is it had come to a point where my husband's career was kind of very uncertain he's a musician and so he had been on this trajectory and then suddenly things weren't going in in that trajectory anymore and I felt a lot of pressure then to you know make sure that we had stability which there's a lot of psychology to unpack there but anyway that's 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 just generally the way I operate I'm like right we need to have some stability and so then I started feeling a bit more insecure I think with how things were going even though they've been going fine I've, I felt like I didn't know why they've been going fine and I needed to get some some more certainty and ideas about how I, I could feel like I could rely on what I'm doing to keep going if that makes sense so it was on a whim we were in um, 
an airport coming back from staying with our friends in Nashville. So for context, we had been going to live in Nashville, which is why I left the NHS. And then we didn't go and live in Nashville because one thing or another happened with um, my husband's uh, music um, plans. And yes, yeah, so, so we'd gone back to visit some friends. And I guess we'd been confronted by this is like what your life could have been, <laughs> which was an interesting experience. And then I think that, you know, um, also instigated a bit of a freak out about what we're doing, what we're doing. Um, so then on a whim in the airport, I was looking at business coaches and I think one had kept popping up on my phone and so I just filled out a form really quickly and the form was really clever because it made you reflect on what you've achieved and you know all the things that you have done and then really get specific about where you want to go and that in itself was quite a helpful process for me so I was like oh yeah this would be really good actually if I have a bit more of this and then she got back to me and we started working together it was helpful but it was a big investment part of the advice was you know create this ex huge executive package world-class offering and then you can free yourself up for the other stuff that makes you more accessible but it's kind of that in itself was a bit at odds with how i i work so it, it i needed to tweak things and yeah that's that ultimately that's not the avenue I went down but it was helpful nonetheless I learned lots of stuff like I learned what a funnel was I didn't know what a funnel was we love funnels in terms of marketing then because marketing can often feel like a bit of an icky word for nutrition professionals or healthcare professionals in general who don't necessarily feel like they want to be selling or putting themselves out there in a, in a certain way how have you approached marketing under the umbrella of your social media you're you're growing your Instagram I know you've done some PR opportunities with the media how have they come about how have you how have you approached that I mean this is where I feel like I've been lucky because it has just been feeling around and see what see, see what sticks and where I've been feeling around it my Instagram started because I was interested in how I how I could disseminate information that was happening all of the time in a in a clinic consultation that loads of people could benefit from and people enjoyed it so then I carried on doing it and then obviously I've refined as I've gone so and that was when I was in the NHS and I had no intention of going private so it was kind of like uh, accidental marketing essentially and then as that's changed as I've gone into private practice I've been thinking a bit more about you know who am I talking to and what do they really need to hear and um how does that align with, with you know what I'm trying to do so I guess I approach it in like awareness increasing and when that resonates with somebody that is your marketing done for you and you, it's not a selling thing you you, you really even don't even need to give a self message if they feel like oh this makes sense for me then you know you've already got a connection and that there's already something that people are interested in you know keep hearing from you about um so that I guess that's just at the heart of my marketing it just feels like providing information people benefit from hearing and then when they they feel like that too that that kind of ticks the marketing box <laughs> and I suppose just from doing that that's where the other opportunities have come from so magazines and journalists getting in touch because I'm I'm talking about an area that 
is interesting to people and it's so relevant in lots of different areas of life so when they've got an article around that subject then they've approached me and this is where you know it's handy my habit of just always saying yes I'm like yeah yeah I'll, I'll give a comment on that and I'm sure there's a much more savvy way to do it I'm sure you know maybe people get paid for what they say to the media I never do <laughs> just say yeah yeah I'll chat to you about that but yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like a combination of disseminate topics that you're interested about and you think that your your ideal kind of people to work with will benefit from hearing and yeah just explore opportunities that that come up from there I think that's exactly how marketing should feel and that's always what I'm saying to people because it should feel authentic it should feel natural it should feel like you're just connecting with your audience instead of trying to ram any messages or sales messages down someone's throat it it should feel exactly like you've said as though you're just sharing messages that you know will resonate so I I love hearing that I think that's that's such an important aspect of it an interesting thing on that is I had a foray into TikTok last year which I hate as a platform and I wasn't on it personally but then suddenly everybody was like oh Instagram's gonna die and you know TikTok's the new thing and I was like oh god I really hope that doesn't happen maybe I should do something so I got on there it's a completely different place from Instagram and I and it's not a place that I feel at home on at all. Instagram is a bit slower. I mean, there's still now with Reels, it's a bit, it's different, but it's still Instagram. And there's still a sense of like a bit more of a, an attention span, maybe not hugely, but just a bit more and a bit more dialogue. And people have, you know, home feeds where it's people that they follow. And I think that makes such a big difference. Whereas TikTok, it's just like anything. I could literally see anything. And because I wasn't really interested in being on TikTok, my, it didn't learn my algorithm because I was just like, no, I don't want to see anything, don't want to see anything. So then I was like, let me just post on there and see generally what people like me might be kind of posting about. So then my algorithm was just <laughs> women telling you stuff very intensely. And inadvertently, that's what I ended up doing. And I was like, oh, this feels horrible. Like, this isn't me. This isn't how I talk. Like, I'm, I'm trying to be super TikTok. I couldn't do the, you know, dancing and pointing at stuff that's never felt comfortable to me. But it was very like, let me give you the 411 about what this is and blah, blah, blah. And I hated it. I had to delete some of the videos because I was like, that's just stupid. It was experimentation. I didn't share with anyone that I was on there. I was trying to look. But um, yeah, still now, some of the videos on there, I was just like, that doesn't really fit with like me, how I'd want to talk about things, what I'd want to talk about. So then I just kind of burnt myself out. And th- I did hit some mark on TikTok. Where I was like, oh, this is kind of where it could work for me, where it was a bit more interactive. But then I'd gotten so burnt out with the whole thing and I just didn't enjoy it. I was like, do I really need to just, you know, have that safety net of establishing myself on TikTok at the expense of my time, my enjoyment, my energy? Probably not. So now if I make a reel on, uh, yeah, on Instagram, I might share it to TikTok sporadically but I'm not spending any effort there for that reason I think that's so good that you haven't you haven't felt you've experimented which I think is great and it's always nice to try new things but you don't have to be on every platform like if you're happy with how your business is going there are other ways to grow especially if something feels uncomfortable and unnatural and you're not enjoying it that often comes through in content as well so a lesson for everyone just yeah you don't have to follow every single trend and and be everywhere all at the same time so I love that you've you've tried and actually 
really looked at whether it's working for you instead of just continuing to do yeah. something that you, that you don't enjoy which is not what anyone wants to do is it because it's interesting because you can see people that have gone super tiktok for tiktok as well and there's no judgment but I wonder like where does that go from there you know when it's not TikTok and it's something else like Clapper or whatever else is going to come next do you have to evolve again into a new skin for a new social media like where does it end and how do you feel doing that because then you're creating two different types of content for two different platforms or three if you've got Twitter as well and whatever I'm like where do people find the time and energy it's it can get a bit of a beast can't it and as you say there's new platforms will come and go you know anyone that remembers MySpace like that was the, that was the biggest thing back then and I think that's an important message in terms of not building your business solely on these social media platforms because they do come and go with different generations different age groups different trends and so building a business on a platform that you own like having your website that's working really hard for you, having your email list even, email is not dead. And seeing social media for what it is, it's a great tool to get your message out and communicate with a mass audience. But it doesn't mean you need to be on six different platforms. One of the things that I learned earlier this week, or last week actually now, isn't it? But I was talking to someone who specializes in SEO, search engine optimization, talking about websites, getting your website working for you. And he was actually saying that LinkedIn can really help Google to rank your website. So not that we need another platform to kind of work hard on, but LinkedIn is obviously a more professional space. So clients, I wouldn't imagine a lot of clients would go to find somebody from LinkedIn, but it's just just a reminder, I guess, that having that kind of professional profile on LinkedIn, if you are creating content for other platforms, if there is the option to share it somewhere like that, that can really help get your website mm. work for you. Thinking about your social media and your website, do you know where most of your clients tend to come from? I should know much more, but I think in the last six months, a lot more of them are coming from Instagram than before. And I, I, I would probably... I'd probably say majority are from referrers, whether that's physical health professionals or other psychologists that are recommending me. I'm trying to think what the proportions would be, but majority that, some from Instagram, directly or indirectly. And then I think some just stumble on me from Google somehow. I think generally they're, um, the, when it's like chronic illness, I um they'll find me that way but if it's specific like guts and gyne thing it usually is specific referrals I was gonna say it might be you know maybe for the the one year three year five year plan is is that perhaps you look at analyzing it a little bit more because it's a really good way of knowing where to direct energy um and yeah that's useful for, for a lot of businesses you talked about referrals from other healthcare professionals and, and you know, multidisciplinary team working is, is so important in healthcare. Could you talk a little bit more about how you do work collaboratively with other nutritional professionals in, in your business? I know you've got, you know, great IBS um, education program and everything. Yeah, um, I mean, this is one of the big ambitions to do this much more, much more kind of multidisciplinary work with people. But I... So in, in my assessments with people, I'll explore what treatment they've had before. Because I'm a psychologist, I'm usually like the last point of call. So usually they have seen everyone first. But 
if, for example, it's somebody presenting with pelvic pain or something like that, and they haven't seen a pelvic health physio, I really recommend that they do. Or if it's somebody with overactive bladder, it can be really helpful to, to do bladder retraining with a bladder retraining nurse or pelvic health physio. And if it's somebody with like gut issues and they they have specific queries or questions around diet, because usually all of them have seen some kind of like dietitian or nutritionist, but maybe um, but there's variable experiences with that as well. So sometimes they've kind of said, oh, tick that box, but it would actually be helpful to see one again. So in my assessment, I'll try and get a good idea of that. And then for some clients, I'll have a conversation, you know, we can do this. This is what we'll be working on. But I think it would be really helpful for you to work with somebody on this specifically. And then I'll um, give them some recommendations on, on how to do so. So it's kind of referral, but referral out. But then I always give the offer of if you're working with that person, I'm happy to collaborate with them and we can kind of get on the same page together and see if we can help streamline your care. So I've had some lovely experiences of doing that with people who um, have gut disorders, for example, and I'll work with the nutritionist or the dietitian and say, you know, this is what um, we're working on. So when you're giving them advice on X, Y and Z, best to steer clear from this or, you know, this is one thing that we're working on. Can you help with this specifically if it's kind of reintroducing food? You know, have we got practices for that? All this kind of stuff. So we can get a bit more integrated with our how we're working together. And I've had some really lovely results from doing that. And the patient as well feels so cared for because it's like, oh, two people, the same cause, and they've got the same messaging. Whereas the experience so often for people is, I'm getting like five different messages from five different healthcare professionals. So it can be such a, yeah, such an important kind of grounding experience for people to have. So I, I want to, I mean, that's the next project after the, the membership, <clears throat> how to get more MDT care in private practice. Yeah, I think building up that contact base in when you're when you're freelancing can be quite tricky. You end up sort of knowing a few really well and you kind of want to give patients the best quality care, but also give them patient choice. And I think for people who maybe rush going straight into freelance work, that's where they don't build up those connections and networks first. So I think one of my biggest tips is you know, don't rush into running your own business straight away perhaps do it on the side build up a really good connection list so that when you're ready to you have those connections ready to call on when you need them just switching switching sort of tack a little bit in terms of our conversation really keen to hear from sort of the psychology point of view in because a, a lot of people when they're running their own business they do experience imposter syndrome um so i think we've all been there it's it's talked about a lot at the moment love to hear a little bit of insight in terms of you know why you think it arises and what we can do to combat it yeah it's a good question a, a big question um why it arises like you say I think it's just a natural thing right when we're a bit uncertain about how's this gonna go um that gives rise to a particular set of feelings and those uncertain feelings then cause us to question like lots of things including am I any good um, but there'll be lots of other things, you know, can, um, is this practical? Where can I get leads? Have I got the skills? It's just one of those questions. But because that question is a very compelling question in terms of its emotional salience, we really cling on to that one. That one feels much more threatening and unquantifiable because 
how do you know if you're any good? I mean, there's lots of parameters, but we tend to go off an emotional sense. So we might keep coming back to that to that question and you know the brain automatically prioritizes self-referential informational questions so if it's something to do with our worth or our ability it's always going to get prioritized in our minds um because it has the most relevance to us and our survival and our happiness and all these kind of things that are really important so in a way we've got a natural skew towards having those questions but how distressing it feels will then elevate that further so if you keep having that question or that experience of that question through for whatever reason whether it's like somebody gives you bad feedback or that patient doesn't follow up with you or whatever it might be and then you come back to that question and and it fills you with you know dread or distress or anxiety or feeling really sad or bad that emotional experience elevates that thought process even more and it calls it into question even more. So we then get this feedback loop of the discomfort with the question itself and then the discomfort causing the question itself and it goes round and round and round. So it's quite easy for that process to naturally occur, especially when we're putting ourselves in situations where there is a lot of uncertainty and where we do have to, in a sense, prove ourselves, you know, whether, but that's not proving our worth, it's proving that we can, you know, establish a business that's going to get clients or whatever it might be, you know, um, get that promotion that we're going for. The the difficult thing is that our brains automatically then group together that metric with our worth. So did you get enough clients? If, if yes, okay, maybe good enough. If no, not good enough, but that's, that's not the, that's not the correlation. There's loads of different factors, but our brain likes to simplify down. So working with imposter syndrome I anticipate that will come and go and I see it more like a you know an emotion comes and goes and I also recognize that it's going to come and go with things that happen in my business so you know when clients um unexpectedly end sessions I was talking about this the other day with my supervisor it's just natural that I'm going to think oh was that something to do with me could I have done better you know did 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 I not serve them as well as I should have in the time that we were together? You know, all of those questions come up. And then that does feel very personal. But the the distinction is I can't ruminate on that and stay with that and internalize it. You know, I will reflect on it and see are there points for learning. But once I've done that, there is really no point in me entertaining that thought process or bearing with those emotions for very long. So I can acknowledge them and then move on to what I've got control over. Um, but same with, oh, you know, getting loads of clients in this month, the next month, or no one's getting in contact with me. Does that suddenly mean that I'm no good? Or, you know, having really lovely sessions with clients and then, or oh, I've had quite a few difficult ones. Does that mean I'm no good? There's loads of things that are going to prompt that. If you're aware of, of that's just going to be a natural thing that arises with some things, then you can depersonalize it a bit and find, you know, healthy ways to cope with it but I think it is just natural it's not a pathological thing and it's definitely not a sign that you're you're not good enough I really like that you mentioned the 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 fact that you have a supervisor because clinical supervision is so important and I think 
that is a really good sounding board, isn't it? Where you can raise your concerns, your doubts, your your fears, I guess your worries. And there is someone who is has been going through the same thing probably at some point and they can they can provide that reassurance. I think so many people forget that clinical supervision is really, really important, isn't it? So important. Great. Well, just to end this podcast then, thank you so much for joining us. Um, because it's all about business secrets, what would you say is your one kind of business secret that you can share with people that that people can just take away and maybe even put into action today? I don't know if this counts as a business secret, but I, I do think coming back to that question of is this aligning with like my value and what's really meaningful to me is just a good question to come back to. It's a good question to come back to when you're thinking about diversifying or if you're thinking about marketing or you're thinking about, do I want to take on this client? You know, it, it just is a really good orienter across all different areas of business. Um, and sometimes it takes a bit more thinking about it. It's not a yes or no answer, but I think it will always serve you really well across like lots of different business challenges. So I, I guess it would be a really simple question to come back to. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sila. It's been such a good chat. Thank you for sharing all of your insights. It's been really interesting. So I um, can't wait to share this with everybody. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely chatting. <laughs>